everyone. Welcome to 12 Questions. This is Anna Valenzuela. Oh my God. And I'm back from the road and it's crazy. Ah, I don't feel like enough sleep uh, could ever be had. Uh, and I, I respect the hustle that my co-host puts in because this is his, this is his all the time. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce my co-host, Mr. Dave Yates. Hey, everybody. Anna's learning that the road is not what it's cracked up to be. I will say, I will say that like, uh, I'm grateful for our program because I, I, uh, fare remarkably well, uh, with the trials and tribulations, including I lost my whole wallet with all my monies in it, uh, in Wall, South Dakota. And, uh, I believe in Midwestern kindness, somebody found it and they sent it to me with everything in it. Can you believe that? Everything. That's, that, that's Midwest for you. It's not, uh. Not like the fucking dredges of the West Coast where people will just send you back your empty wallet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although I have lost things out of my wallet uh, here in Eagle Rock and someone has has returned my ID to me. So I I feel like I'm inc uh, incredibly, uh, not to sound gross, but like incredibly blessed in a lot of ways. So uh, I'm, I'm a bit obnoxious to take on the road because I'm just like too blessed to be stressed. Let's let's go to the Wawa. Like, I'm just excited to be there. Um, I would have left you at a truck stop. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was almost lifted a truck stop like three times. So I totally get it. Um, but I'm, I'm just like super excited to hear our clarity statement out of your fantastic. You're just your fantastic, beautiful. All sounds. right. Reel it in. Let me get Come on. Welcome Let me questions, everybody. We believe that growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences with guests who do the same. We're not affiliated with AA, NA, or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to give hope to anyone struggling. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves by listening. Yay! And I'm, I'm stoked... I am very stoked. We have a hot recommend for our guest today. Very excited. Go ahead, Dave. No, Whitney Wasson. Whitney Whitney is a past guest and avid supporter, the creator of Sober Rabbit. And whenever I'm running out of ideas on who to ask to be on the pod, Whitney is our go-to source for interesting sobers and people of the like. Who are we speaking with today? Hi, my name's Joe, and uh, I live in Chicago. Hell yeah. Chicago Hi. Joe. Hey, Chicago Joe. Chicago Joe, you have a bit of an accent. Are you originally? I do. No. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I am from the UK. I've been in Chicago for 12 years now. No, it's 2021. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Chicago accent now. It, I, it is. Once you, once you hit the decade mark in Chicago, it's, I hear it. I met it's a guy in <laughs> I had a I had a I met a guy in Chicago that had like the most Chicago accent I had ever heard and it was it was like what like listening to that bear sketch from SNL and that's why I was like it'd be very funny if we just pitched this as the Chicago accent like this this refined accent this is now <laughs> the Chicago accent I enjoy this well, I also feel like certain British accents are more like likely to 
sort of maintain themselves over here. I, I have a friend who is from like Liverpool and he still has his accent. He's been here longer than I have, I think. But like, you know, only- I, I, my, mine was kind of like ripe to be a little mangled, I think. Where where are you from in the UK? If you don't mind me asking. Well, I I grew up in the Midlands, uh, Birmingham, okay. Trent, kind of near Derby and Birmingham. Um, okay. Kind of Peaky Birmingham. Blinders country, yeah, right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I like how you have to say Peaky Blinders country so that Americans will fucking understand any Word. European geography. Well, listen, at least there is a cultural reference for the Midlands now. That's like a first. We do have like more accent, like within the space of like, yeah. you know, the size of Illinois, you do have like, I mean, again, like I grew up really not that far from Birmingham and like there's none of that accent around where like where I grew up. It's very odd, like how yeah. distinct it can be with just a like very short car ride. Yeah. Totally. I think I think it's that way everywhere. There's uh, I was in uh, Gainesville, Florida, and there were some people that sounded like they were from the South and some people that did not. And they were all from the same place. It's a uh, very well, fascinating if you've been in Illinois for long enough. You know that if you go south of I-80, even a mile, you're going to hear people to talk like, hey, man, I've talked like this my entire fucking life. I work on the farm, fucking get her done. And you're still in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. There are parts of Illinois where they think they are the South. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or um, let me think. Uh, there, there are parts of South Dakota or and and Minnesota that sounded like real, like oh, Minnesota accent. Like, and that then was horrible. That was. I don't so do bad. accents. I don't do so accents. <laughs> hey, I'm from Minnesota. Minnesota. Uh, I don't know. Welcome to 12 Accents Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dave Yates. Uh, we're excited to just jump right into these questions. Uh, yeah, Joe, save me uh, for myself, Dave. Save me. <laughs> question one is, how? Uh, what does surrender look like to you in your life today? So I think that, like, for me... And and this has really been on my mind, like since the pandemic, right, started, right? Because if you want to talk about like a big thing I don't have any control over and that like none of us have any control over, um, it's huge. Uh, for me, it's, it's kind of all about like realizing that the part of me that like thinks I'm responsible for everything, mm. like as much as that stresses me out, like that's actually usually the way of looking at things that I've chosen because I don't want to accept that I'm not in control, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and for me, like surrender has meant like very slowly and reluctantly acknowledging like, uh, oh, I'm not in control of this, right? Yeah. Like, it, although I might complain and say, oh no, this is all my responsibility. You know, I actually... The idea that like it's not up to me is I I kind of had to accept like no that's what really scares me right yeah like and the, and the, all of that like feeling sort of stressed and guilty about like oh you know uh, is something going to happen that's my fault it's like most of that is is in a way what I'd rather be doing or, or historically what I'd rather be doing because if I had to actually be like no it's it's not going to be my fault if you know some like disaster happens it'll probably just be you know chance or like the universe or whatever you want to call it 
like that's kind of terrifying, you know, and uh, but it does. It's terrifying, but it does kind of relieve you of having to feel like uh, you're responsible for everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's some recovery liter- literature out there that says lack of power. That was our dilemma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's the cornerstone for me with surrender is unless it's inside my little hula hoop, I got no control over it. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the 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 um the the recovery literature thing that I I like really love is the uh you know the whole like the person who thinks he can run the whole show mm-hmm. uh and I'm not a theater kid but I'm like adjacent to a lot of theater kids and it's very like I know people where they're like oh yeah literally like that's me because I like have been you know like they've actually been like play directors you know and like I I I have like project manage things and it's just like oh god that's really me jesus like the whole thing of like you know um maybe be nice but if you're doing that you're doing it to be like how can i get these people to do it but more often like you know at some point snap and start being an asshole and be and then still be mad when you know you don't have ultimate control over what everyone does my favorite is when i i act real nice to get people to do stuff and then they don't do it. I'm like, well, if that's not working, I'm going to be a mm-hmm. fucking prick. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, well, you, you, you had your chance to be manipulated nicely, right? And you chose to, you chose not to uh, uh, oblige. So you no. chose, you chose violence. You chose violence, and here we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I went through a recently. I went through a whole gamut of those emotions where it was like, you know, through doing work, it felt truly insane to act out on blatant open control it felt crazy making to act out on people pleasing manipulative control and then it turned into just basically like the vibe is weird and i don't know how to communicate but stop being mean and 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 it's a it's it's weird to chalk those things up as um as growth but the insanity that we live in when we're out there in those streets is so intense. Like what is the most insane moment that you've had either in or out of your recovery journey? Um, I feel like, uh, so, so like before, uh, I quit drinking, uh, like there's several times where I had like the experience where afterwards I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not doing that again. Uh, that was really crazy and I clearly need to address my drinking so you know it was like wandering around like I went to visit a friend in a city I'd never been to for been to before and ended up like leaving the club everyone was at and not being able to get back in so then I was like drunkenly drunkenly wandering around the city having like paranoid delusions uh like trying to like get into other people's houses because I thought that was the house I'd been staying in whoa and and then like eventually which, which finding, city was this this was recall? sheffield this is like still my only trip to sheffield and it's like oops like kind of a kind of a, a bad association um but but you know and, and like other experiences of, of just waking up and being like actually i did something really dangerous and um you know, I'd better, I'd better like look into this, but, but all I ever did was usually like stop drinking for two weeks or something, which accomplished mm-hmm. nothing. Right. Right. Um, but so, you know, that was the, definitely the, the 
the most insane stuff. Then I think, I don't know, I think in some ways the, um, the most insane, like, I mean, I, I, I've, I've sort of dabbled in a lot of insane beliefs about like, uh, oh, this person hates me based on this, like very my, you know, this, this, this thing that they said that wasn't about me, but I'm reading between the lines. Um, I think like the, going back to the whole, like the idea of that you're responsible for everything. I had, I had a job where I basically convinced myself that like the entirety of uh, the, that sort of industry basically was resting on my shoulders because I was convinced that like the organization I worked for was like, you know, the like the nail that if it came off, like the whole industry and the whole of like the American left probably uh, would collapse. Whoa. And, and I was also holding that organization together. And it's just massive ego. But when you're busy thinking like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed and stressed, you don't think of it as ego. You know what I mean? You think, I, I mean, I thought like, oh, this is, this is, you know, this is just a huge amount of stress for me. I didn't think like you egomaniac, like, mm. um, and again, that was in sobriety, right? Like, and that's been, you know, dealing with that basically like Martha complex has been one of the biggest challenges, of, mm -hmm. you know, my, my time since I stopped drinking. Yeah. You take, you take the, you take the booze and the drugs away. And those were the things that I used to quell a lot of that egomania. Mm -hmm. If I stayed consistently fucked up, like I still thought I was better than you, but mm -hmm. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to lose sleep over it, you know? Right. Or I thought that, you know, the world started and stopped with me and that everybody that I encountered was just the marionettes that came to life when I entered the room. Like mm. That's how, that's, in, that's how insane my center, self-centered and center of the universe thinking got. Mm -hmm. in my in even in my youth like i'm talking like i had these thoughts before i even picked up a drink was i couldn't conceive of a world outside of my own mm. you know um and that that informed all the decisions i made you know it, it informed all the decisions i thought you made about me you know mm -hmm. and 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 that was insanity before touching the drink you know mm -hmm. and then you filter through alcoholism on how you make decisions to, for me, at the end of the day, how am I going to get the medicine in me as quick as possible uh, every single day? Mm -hmm. like, how am I going to come up with the cash? How am I going to come up with the the con? I mean, I remember I got arrested in Chicago. Uh, it was the middle of summertime, and I was only really good at stealing if I had a jacket on. So I remember walking into a jewel on close to North Avenue in Chicago. I spent a lot of time living and burning it down in Chicago. And I remember walking in this jewel in shorts, flip-flops, and a, and a fucking windbreaker, like a maniac. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I went and I jacked a bottle. And as I was leaving, I got flanked and fucking thrown in the clink for stealing a, a giant bottle of vodka or something. I didn't, I didn't spend a whole bunch of time there. I think it was just like an overnight I'm in jail thing, but mm -hmm. that's how I made decisions. 
I didn't care. I was like, right. fuck, fuck this jewel. I'm stealing this bottle. Yeah. Jo Joe, how do you make decisions in your life today? Good question. Um, I think the two, the two things that I've really learned from uh, other sober people that inform my thinking is, so, so to backtrack and say like how I used to make decisions would be some combination of like in the moment in my feelings and like also trying to plan like, you know, a dozen steps ahead. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so now I, I still have those, urges very much right like that's still there in my brain and the two kind of pieces of advice that i have taken um are pause like pause when agitated or doubtful which for me is like a huge amount of the time left to my mm -hmm. own devices right i'm just yeah agitated or doubtful or both um so you know trying to like slow down that reaction time and like and and not freak out for lack of a, a better phrase um but also not get too bogged down in um like what not get too bogged down in uh in, in thinking you know what are the ramifications of this going to be like 10 sure. steps down the line because yeah. you know that's that's very much like how how i used to see things and if you think it that way you kind of become completely inert right like mm -hmm. it, it like if, if you think of all the possible things that can go wrong with any action you just will never leave the house or the bedroom um and like i you know like i said like those, those still those things are still very much there um and another thing that i've had to learn in terms of making decisions and this sounds kind of counterintuitive because in some ways it sounds selfish, I think, but like to actually ask myself, what do I want? Mm -hmm. um, just because I spent, I spent years being a people pleaser, which, which is its own form of selfishness when you do it kind of pathologically. Yes, it's manipulation, it's dishonesty, yeah. and it's selfishness, yes. It's like, I, I, you know, I need to figure out what everyone I want to keep in my life wants. I need to figure out what everyone who I want to like me, which P.S. is everyone in the world, mm -hmm. right? I need to figure out what they all want, and I need to be that person, give them that thing, keep all the plates spinning, keep everyone happy. Um, you know, a big, I mean, when I first heard the phrase, and this was nothing to do with with sobriety, but when I first heard the phrase like, say, yes, res yes without resentment and no without guilt, I was like, that was that was mind blowing to me because you know I pretty much always felt those things. But you know, if someone if someone invited me to do something and I thought I was obligated, I would definitely feel guilty if I said no. Uh, on the other hand, I would often like go and like do things and and then resent people. Um, mm -hmm. So so yeah, I mean, trying to figure out like what do I want, and that and that can be you know not not necessarily in the sense of like a short-term gratification, but like, what do I want from my life? Like what's mm -hmm. important to me? What well, are my yeah, values? It's, it's like checking your motives, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like, what do I want? What is my motivations behind this? And, and I, I want to take a, a brief second to make an aside for uh, the 12 step world. Uh, when I came up uh, there was always these people that were like, I never say no to a, 
uh, this this organization's request. I never say mm -hmm. no to a blank anonymous request. And it's like mm -hmm. it's like like you you're taught to be of service, but like you're all like there's a lot of these things going around that like I never say no when this when this twelve step organization asks me to do something. It's like mm, it's not for me. Uh, I'm gonna say yes to as many things as I can to be of service, and I'll check my motives whether I'm saying no because I'm just being a lazy pud, or do I really want to get taken advantage of? You know, so there's a lot. Or can I adequately show up for this? You know, a lot of with you know we travel a lot, so it's one of those things where it's like, sure, I'd love to, but I don't think I can adequately show up for this. Right. Anyway. Right. Well, no, I, you, you just reminded me of, uh, yeah, I mean, basically anything I commit to risks getting into that um, cycle of, like, I start thinking I'm not doing a good job. I start imagining or maybe even realizing that some people are dissatisfied with how I'm doing. And then I start, like, resenting that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a really sort of, like, potent combination of, like, paranoia and, like, fear of alienating people but also like you know guilt like alternating between feeling guilty and then feeling like how dare anyone blame me for this right. and so yeah I remember the first time I had like a service commitment where I had to like then talk to my sponsor at length about like what was going on in my head about the service commitment like you know like I was really mad uh, at people I thought had let me down but then I also was really like defensive about like people thinking i'm doing a crappy job um so yeah like trying to like clear that stuff out of your head and sometimes yeah sometimes i think it, it does mean saying like no yeah. right like yeah they they're in um in in a in a fellowships literature it says usually isn't until we get involved with service as someone points out that our personal recovery depends on unity and that unity depends on how well we follow our traditions and the thing about the traditions and the concepts, here's the thing. If you are, this is a deep dive. If you are a casual listener, you're not a 12-step person. We also have a thing called concepts. And those concepts are how we like address service commitments. And one of the things I've had to say is in terms of the fourth concept, um, I am not an appropriate choice for this commitment as I cannot guarantee that I will be in town and available to show up to these meetings regularly. And um taking away, like having the ability to say that in a way that isn't like, you know, so I don't end up in a situation where my defects want to defend me from inadequacies. And it's like, no, I've been around this. I've been around this block for a minute. There's a few things I shouldn't do. I shouldn't be your treasurer. Mm -hmm. All right. Not because I'm going to steal your money just because I got ADD and I'm going to miscount some shit. She's going to leave your meetings money in South Dakota. I and, might leave your meetings money in South Dakota for and, real. Like, and hope like, that some sweet Midwesterner mails it back to your yes, home group. Yes. So I might not be the person, I, I might lose a receipt or something. You, I might not be the person for that. And to take my ego out of it and not just say like, I want to be accepted so bad that I'm going to people please my way into this commitment where I can't serve the fellowship correctly and i certainly can't serve myself within that correctly like right. like getting to the root of like what am i actually good at you know <laughs> right i went i went through a period where i i just said i can't go to business meetings because of <laughs> uh a, a character defect i have which is argumentativeness and like i you know 
you know, I'd be so mad at the people who who were like dragging this business meeting out, so it was way too long. But my so you know, everybody in the business, yeah, meeting? Well, everyone, yeah, yeah, but like yeah. The only the only thing you can the only you you feel like the only active thing you could do there is to like speak up and say we don't need to be having this discussion, and then that just becomes another point, another arguing point, and like you know, I mean, I think a big catch 22 in some ways with with uh 12 step groups is like you know you go at the beginning and you really can be kind of like completely anonymous to the people there and everyone kind of knows though that it's good to build some kind of relationship with sure. people and with like a regular meeting or group but like once you start to do that then that's like all of the like uh, complications of human relationships and being parts of groups comes into play, you know, and you can get like annoyed with people and you can feel like you're being asked to do much, to do too much and all of that. It's, um, yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah. Well, and I think it requires a lot of self-knowledge, you know, and, and that leads us to our next question. Like what is like how what's the most interesting thing that you've learned about yourself in your journey whether interesting or surprising like what's one thing that you've learned about yourself where you're like hot damn i think the the most surprising thing to me has been that i maybe don't care about being successful as much as I thought I did. Ooh. Like, like I used to, and I'm not, and this hasn't gone completely, but it, you know, in addition to part of, like I said, part of me extends that people pleasing to like, I need everyone to like me. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I need, I have a bottomless well that needs filling with validation and so mm -hmm. I need some kind of like fame, status, recognition. Um, and, and I have kind of over time been, been released from that a little bit. Now, sometimes that's come in the form of like hard knocks where it's like, okay, like, you know, like this job lead didn't pan out or like this project didn't pan out. And like, you're going to have to accept that, you know, you're, you're not always going to have experiences of success like sometimes you're going to experience what feels or maybe is failure right and how how do we deal with that and some of it has has been about getting better at like recognizing what relationships are actually important so like i have a niece and nephew now who are like five and almost two and like those kids, like we're very close and, and I spend a lot of time with them and it's like, okay, actually like it's more important to me to be like a good uncle than mm -hmm. it is to be like, you know, at one point I really, you know, I, I, at one point I thought like it would be great if people like paid me to write my opinions in like a magazine or newspaper <laughs> and like now I'm like that sounds like a nightmare I mean in a very sort of um poison chalice kind of way right mm -hmm. like uh and I sort of see what it's done to some people and I'm like yeah you know but but this idea of um actually maybe I can be happy with not being cool not being highly thought of by the right people mm -hmm. you know maybe the right people now are you know this five-year-old and this toddler right that that has been 
surprising. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that's surprising about my like like sober life. If you would if you had told me, even at the beginning of quitting drinking, if you had told me I would get into like yoga and that I would start going to the gym, although I've stopped going to the gym again. But like, if you would had told me that would be periods where I was like, you know, into like getting up early and going to the gym before work. I mean, I don't know if that would have been more surprising than like quitting drinking, because I think mm. not drinking would have been the most surprising thing, but that would all have been pretty surprising, you know? Yeah, that I, I consider taking care of myself more today. That's that's always surprising to me when I was like, look at you fucking taking a shower every day, you son of a bitch, <laughs> you know? I just, uh, it, that's the thing too, it's like you... you you realize you take the you take the booze away. You take a lot of the excuses away sometimes, mm. and I can make just as many excuses in sobriety. But like that's it. It takes a lot of honesty in early recovery for me to admit that. Oh yeah, the booze is just a symptom to the fact that I am not cool to me. I'm not mm. kind to me. I'm not and. The, that the the booze was just an easy vehicle to be unkind to myself, um, but that I mean I continually and I've been doing the deal almost ten years now. I have to relearn how to be honest with myself and and what I need and what I don't need, and that's in my relationships with other people, and that's what my relationship with me and whatever my higher power tends to be on any given day of the week. Um, Joe, how honest are you with yourself and those around you? Uh, good question. I would say more honest than I used to be. <laughs> while mm -hmm. also, like, I used to be kind of a chronic oversharer. Um, and maybe I still am. I don't know. But, uh, haven't yet. I, not not yeah. on this podcast. Yeah, that's that's perfect for a podcast, by the way. Uh, yeah. Um, I I think that I I used to really be like the the worst of both worlds. Um, in some ways, in that like I was you know infamously bad at keeping secrets. Like if you told me something that was a secret, especially like the next time I drank, I would tell whoever I was with. Right. Right. Um, but I also was not really showing anyone my like real who I really was because I was busy showing them the version of them I thought they wanted to see mm -hmm. um I I don't know it's it, it's a tough one because it's a very important one for me like honesty and integrity are very important values for me at the same time I still have um you know, I, I still have those things that 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 unwillingness to 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 show someone something that uh, might that I think they might not like to hear, right? Right. Uh, be in me. Um, I think, yeah, I can only really like interpret it as part of a sort of you know progress, right? That's like, well, now I'm like here. And I don't know what the like future of that looks like. And I don't really know what it looks like for other people. I just know like it's better than it was. Um, you know, I've tried to get a little bit better at like not uh, over promising. Um, and, you know, be honest about like what, I mean, this goes back a little bit to that whole thing about like what you say yes and no to, right? Like, mm -hmm. 
I think I, there's a lot of things that like, where it's like, oh, I want to be the sort of person who likes doing that. Right. And it's like, and now I'm just like, no, I'm not. Right. Like, yeah. Um, like, like, it, like name an example. I, I know that this is like, like my partner told me a couple of years ago that he just doesn't like going to concerts because he doesn't like crowds of people. And I was like, whoa, fucking nerd. Yeah. I love a concert. I love well, that- it. See, that's really interesting because that that's yeah. almost one to me. I, I I I love music. I'm not a huge fan of live music. Um yeah. now the concerts I go to I I like they're very intentionally chosen. Probably because concerts got so fucking expensive. But yeah, um, yeah. But but like now it, I'm like very much like, okay, like I you know, I'm I'm gonna like think carefully about what concert I want to go to. Um you know, I think uh there are certain kinds of, and it's weird because this process of, of realizing this has overlapped with with getting sober, but it's not it's not like just directly connected to it. There were definitely mm-hmm. even in sobriety, like parties I went to, where I'm like, yeah, looking back on that, like I wanted to believe I was the kind of person who could hang, but like I'm not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of a of a more concrete example, uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. In some ways, it's like it's like a little bit of everything because you know. Um, I think f- f- there's a there's there's a part of me that always wanted to with anyone I was talking to if they if they had some kind of like interest. Uh, and they were at all appealing to me in any sense, then I would be like, oh yeah, I know about that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like uh, I mean, when I was in college, I like, I was in like, a, I was an extra in a couple of plays uh, because I like had a huge crush on someone who was like a theater kid, right? And it like stuff like that, where it's like, you know, I, I whatever this person is into, I've got to show that I'm interested in, in as well. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, maybe everyone does that when they're like a teenager, but I, I feel like that the impulse is there in me, has been there in me historically in quite a like insane degree. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very famous for uh, lying about knowing about things if you ask me, just so sure, you think I've I'm seen, cool. Mm-hmm. I've so. seen that movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, when I was a teenager, so... I was raised in a very religious uh, environment. My mother was and is to this day an evangelical Christian, which Americans are always surprised to hear that the UK has those, but they do. Mm -hmm. Um, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean the United Kingdom is is full of religious people? (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That same what that they, they no way. Yeah, it's, I think it's so funny that people forget that, like, the UK and you know, and like Europe, it's like they were famous for going into countries and be like, You believe in this now, blah, right, right. right? And also, wasn't America just all the religious zealots were like, Fuck this, we're going and finding our own land? Yep. <laughs> um, and anyway, as, as a result of that, like, when I was at school, I absolutely frequently like hadn't seen the movies that the other kids talked yeah. about. So, you know, because if they were like, uh, 
if, if they were the kind of thing that like technically the the guidance the rating on that said don't show kids of this age mm -hmm. that movie yet you know everyone else at school would have seen it and i would be like oh yeah yeah that bit of predator uh-huh like no, yeah I'd know right I'd yeah yeah it's it's wild it's wild but i think I think that that chameleon nature, mm -hmm. those um, you'd mentioned people pleasing before, uh, those are all our character defects that are initially there just to protect us, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. You know what I mean? And it protects us from an, an internal sense of fear and anxiety around being accepted or not being accepted. Like, how do you experience fear and anxiety today? Um, so, like, anxiety is like my big. Thing. Uh, mm -hmm. For years, I, I sort of like wanted, I was really hoping that like I could like have a diagnosis that was like anxiety. And sometimes that leads to problems with drinking. And so like, I wasn't an actual alcoholic. And I would just figure out the anxiety thing separately. And then my drinking would kind of level mm -hmm. out. That doesn't work. Um, so or it was never going to work for me. So now I mean, I still experience anxiety, you know, daily, I I think the truth is that right now, like a lot of people are dealing with anxiety based on external things mm -hmm. um, that to me feels very familiar. It's like, oh, now everyone is worried about like the world ending mm -hmm. uh, and everyone is worried about like COVID and they don't know quite like what's the right amount of precautions for me to take. And some of that stuff, I you know, ever since the, the pandemic started or even going back to like the 2016 election, some of that stuff, I kind of feel like, yeah, I feel this and I yeah. feel worse now, but also I was there already and now you all are catching up with me. Like <laughs> that was, I kept, I kept tweeting at the beginning of the pandemic, welcome to my world. Yeah. My, my general anxiety disorder welcomes you. Yeah, hey, absolutely. what's up? <laughs> ab absolutely. Um, you know, in the very specific forms of it, like, uh, you know, I like some of the stuff where it's like, okay, you're going to hear like conflicting information and the only person who can decide what you do with your life is you. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, what? Like, how can I be in charge of that? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, a little bit of this is probably, I think for me, is like coming from being raised in a religion. And I and I clung to this as a kid, I think partly as a, a solution to my anxiety at the time. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that I gave it up mm -hmm. around the time I was 18. So around the time I got into drinking, right? I went pretty seamlessly from like the church to alcohol. Um, but, you know, like that, the, the church is all about like, you know, there's only one person really that you listen to about what to do, right? Uh, there's only one set of rules. You don't have to worry about hearing conflicting things. Um, so going back to the question, I mean, I, uh, at least now I think I, I'm kind of, getting better at not then being like um on top of the fear and anxiety being self-recriminatory about the fear and anxiety you know because mm -hmm. for, for for a long time i like i would be like god you know why does this bother you so much you know you, you fucking weirdo and and now i'm more kind of like okay like yeah this is a scary time and and like these are the idea that like 
of fears and anxieties they might not be real in the sense of like that person doesn't hate me or mm -hmm. like I'm going to get COVID on the bus and I'm going to give it to my entire family, right? Th those aren't real in a sense, but they are like valid as mm -hmm. in like, you know, the world can be a scary place. Human relationships can be scary and unpredictable. So like, it, it's no good, I think, to get into a state where you're like not only afraid and anxious, but you're hating yourself for being that way, right? That's a really mm -hmm, vicious right. cycle. Yeah, it's it's they are inherently there to protect us, but do they drive the boat? Mm -hmm. One of my favorite colloquial phrases to rebuke in the rooms is, well, feelings aren't facts. I'm like, well, I never drank over the facts. So, <laughs> and that's, I mean, you know, it's like, when is it a defect of character? When is it it just, okay, I'm a human being and I have a general fear about COVID, you know? When is it, you know, uh, a character defect or when it was like, yeah, being around people makes you anxious because you haven't been around people for two years straight, right. you know? Like, and that's that, you know, deciphering which are defects and which are just this is just a human being having an emotion right well, and go ahead so, oh i was just gonna say i you know what what you were saying anna before about like these are protective mechanisms i mean that to me was was a kind of like a crucial way of understanding as well like i kept i think like recovery stuff and therapy stuff for me at least have kind of like like synced up a little bit where it's like okay like a lot of my what you might call character defects are like you know malformed defense mechanisms or coping mm -hmm. strategies right uh and like including drinking um you know my sponsor says i remember my sponsor saying like uh that if you're an anxious person drinking kind of works like it has mm -hmm. a lot of problems but like it kind of works yeah just, if it didn't we wouldn't do it we're not like that's stupid and yeah. and and this but the, the thing is like drinking kind of worked to deal with the anxiety the anxiety kind of worked to protect me you know when i was a right. kid and and like all, all of the of these things it's like yeah you know i got i can be a really defensive person like that obviously defensiveness starts as a defense mechanism right yeah. um you know, self-recrimination starts as a defense mechanism, you know, get in there before anyone else can, right? Yeah. So, so what would you say the defects of character uh, that you have, have you either turned over or worked on the most in your recovery? Um. Well, I mean, one that, that is like, I think a constant process, I mean, the hardest in some ways, to, one of the hardest to let go of is, is like defensiveness and specifically mm -hmm. that, that thing where I, I, I feel like I already spend a lot of time criticizing myself and that means nobody else needs to bother because I've got it covered. And so if anyone says it makes me act like a person who doesn't criticize himself at all, because it's like, yes. if, you say, if you have anything critical to say to me, I'm like, I already thought this, so shut up. 
you know. What, and, what are you, every man I've ever dated? Oh my god. <laughs> well, I was about to say that the person who who probably who has to deal with this the, the most and gets the brunt of this is, you know, is my wife. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, um, you know, it, it doesn't. There's a lot of other situations where it doesn't come off great either. Um, but yeah, I mean that and the that goes hand in hand with the kind of martyr complex or messiah complex i was talking about earlier right where it's like you know i will do a bunch you know i'll do a bunch of nice stuff or i'll do a bunch of necessary stuff either around the house or at work and then if i don't get like sufficient credit for it it's like you know like why is no one noticed that i'm up here on the cross right like um and that's not great you know what I, I kept saying, and I had some challenging interpersonal situations the last couple of weeks, and I kept saying out loud, I am not a martyr, I choose this. Right. And I would have to say that I am not a martyr, I choose this. I'm just saying that this, this is inconvenient, but I am not a martyr, I choose this uh, to remind myself that I wasn't in a position where, you know, it's like I could, I could take my ball and go home at any time, you know, right. and it's, uh, and I, I think that that's, that's important to remind ourselves of. And um, I'm sorry, I interrupted your train of thought. I would love to hear more. Oh, no, but that, that's <laughs> absolutely huge. I mean, I think that the, the, the realizing you've chosen this and, and the thing that I got from mm-hmm. my sponsor was like realizing that, you know, when I, what, certain dilemmas, it's because I have like two values and I'm trying to keep true to both of them. Like the, this is in even like an ideal situation where like you have some kind of, dilemma and it's like you know you're not I mean a lot of people are in some way stuck at their job but but for those of us who are who are lucky enough to have a little bit more in a sense of of choice like I I choose to have a job and Mm -hmm. I choose like to work in a particular field Mm -hmm. and um and like there are downsides that come with that right but it's my choice to do that and not to decide to leave and go into the service industry. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same with, you know, the same with like relationships um, and, and, you know, like, I mean the same, you know, the same with like what choosing to go to therapy. Cause the thing is I can make anything into a chore. Right. Yes. Or (laughs) drama, like a little mini drama, like, Ooh, I love the high drama of it all. Yes. Um, I think, you know, other other big things I've struggled with, uh, anger. Um, I really struggle with, you know, there's some there's some literature stuff uh, in recovery literature stuff about like not allowing r- yourself to indulge in righteous anger. Oh. Like, I, like I, yeah. I, there has to be some, right? There has to be some righteous anger. Otherwise, we're not going to get we're not going to change anything. Having said that, I do know for myself that like getting angry can be, it's basically like a drug, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, you know, I find something, I I sometimes seek out stuff. Like if I go on Twitter and a bunch of people are talking about something awful someone said, I could ignore that, right? And Mm -hmm. like log off and go about my day or even stay logged in, but just look at nice things. But instead, I'll be like, I want to know what the bad thing was that someone has said so I can find it and so I can feel like the blood rushing mm-hmm. <laughs> through my head and then be like angry, angry, angry. And 
you know, it is it is very uh, addiction like, but usually there's a come down afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, oh crap! Like, I really unloaded on that person, and like maybe that wasn't necessary. You know? Right. Um, so, I mean, that that's a big one. I mean, and it's that's an ongoing difficult one because I think there are lots of things in the world that it where it's very understandable to be angry about yeah yeah but but there is the question of like what does it achieve and what's its effect on me apart from anything else you know yeah i was sharing about this last night about the opportunities i've had as of late to indulge in justifiable anger and um how you know how much i would love to get that rage fix but now i've i've been in positions of like working on it for so long that it doesn't even feel good to approach it so what I find myself do is be be very frustrated like text Dave or text another friend or text somebody about being like I'm very frustrated because that's ultimately what rage is for me it's frustration and hurt and fear and so I I would just be like I am frustrated I am fearful I am hurting you know and to say it to somebody and to not indulge in that and that justifiable anger is a huge deal and it allows uh for a moment of forgiveness you know because at the end of the day if someone's pissing me off if they're acting out on their defects they're just protecting themselves from some other shit right and so so I can get into that forgiveness of like maybe this person has had difficult relationships with women or maybe this person has had, you know, or this entity or whatever um, has, is struggling in some way. And to get into that forgiveness, how do you experience forgiveness in your, in your, in your recovery today? Well, a, a big part of, part of it for me has been about forgiving myself and and that is still a process as well right like mm-hmm. um there are things that i have been able to forgive myself for uh you know i and and like i, I guess i'm talking about a combination of like actual things where i did something that was like wrong or harmful or you know hindered myself and also like stuff you know like forgiving myself for stuff that happened in my childhood that I had no control over but I always felt responsible for right yes like, yes yes trauma trauma PTSD right, yes right. I get it I get it uh, <laughs> and and for you know forgiving myself for not um yeah get like forgiving myself for not being the kind of successful that at various points I've wanted like forgiving mm. myself for not looking uh, not seeing exactly what I want when I look in the mirror right um that that's like one kind of forgiveness that like it's not done by any by any yeah. <laughs> stretch of the imagination um forgiving other people I mean it's a tough one for me it, re- it really is um there's definitely things where I have thought that I have forgiven people. And then, uh, you know, like my, my father, I thought at one point I had forgiven. And then through a lot of therapy and, and also through like sobriety, I kind of realized, oh, no, wait, like we've barely scraped the surface. There's like so much anger under here, right? Um, and And I still have to work really hard on like sort of 
day-to-day stuff um you know the a lot of it comes from uh like pain um and fear of like fear of abandonment and and developing a mindset which says well no one's going to abandon me so instead what's going to happen is if someone puts a foot wrong like they're out <laughs> like, right. like i don't you know i don't like forgive easily um i think also like learning the difference between like actual forgiveness and uh letting things slide because you you are afraid of like having a difficult conversation mm-hmm. um yeah i mean I, I am also still you know i am in the process of like making amends for things and uh you know like how i relate to the idea of of asking other people for forgiveness or for you know facing up to like harm i've caused with other people and and dealing with the possibility that i might not get forgiveness right that it's mm-hmm. not in any way obligated that's that's a uh, a challenging one as well What's the most surprising amends or apology that you've either received or given thus far? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've only had one person, uh, make amends to me in, in the program that I know of, like who actually said like, Hey, this is what this is. And I, you know, that we were in the same program and it was pretty clear to me. And, and that was, you know, that was incredibly beneficial to that relationship right um because i think you know because you have your own stuff going on like you're always kind of wondering i mean rather i am always kind of wondering like uh you know am i just being paranoid because i can do that or is this person being grumpy with me like is this person treating me unfairly or am i being entitled right and you you are Yes. Sorry. You are paralleling (laughs) something I've had to ask myself a lot as of late. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and like, well, I feel like it's like, you know, sometimes it's like, God, can, can we get couples counseling, but for like every single relationship in my life. Right. Like, because, because it's like, this is the only way you'll ever know. And I guess like the truth is you have to accept you're not going to know, which is incredibly like frustrating, but like, the, the, mostly you don't get to know, right? You don't get to know in a situation whether someone was well within their rights or if someone was like being crappy. And the, the only, the only way you get to know, and in my experience is like, is if you're lucky enough to know someone else in the program or, or in some other kind of relationship with themselves where they come to you and say, Hey, listen, you know, I've, I've had a tendency to treat you like this and, um, you know, and that was wrong. Uh, I think for in terms of me giving me making amends um the the surprising thing to me was how the, the how beneficial it was even even the smaller ones right and like and that it really isn't about in some ways what the other person says um mm-hmm. because I've had people you know, like I've had a couple of people say, oh, I don't think you have anything 
to to be sorry for, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you know, probably some of the ones that I haven't done yet are the ones where people are definitely not going to say that, and that's why Mm -hmm. I keep putting them off. But, um, like, what I kind of realized was that whether someone says, oh, you know, they were always fine with it or something, is really, like, not the issue. Mm -hmm. There is a part of it, of of making amends, I think, that's important, that's about, like, setting things right. And I I do believe that, right? I do believe that when you've harmed another person, you have to try and, like, make make some kind of reparation there. But I, I think that there's also a thing that it's about, like... For, for for me, I, you know, who struggles both with a huge amount of like guilt and shame and self-loathing and also like a lot of us, the tendency to say, well, I wasn't at fault there at all, right? Like to to actually like make an amend and to, to, to look at it and say, okay, like here's what I did that I need to acknowledge and say was wrong. That, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of like clarify that and you do sort of purge it a little bit um and and get rid of that sort of swirling conflicting feeling of like guilt versus self-justification mm-hmm. yeah oh you just you distilled it it's a beautiful thing it's a, I, one thing i found myself is a 10-step practice over the last uh couple of couple of months has been um asking myself where is my triangle of self-obsession today? Like, where is my self-centeredness? Where is my fear? And um, and where is where's my acceptance? Where's my hope? Where's the contrary action to those those self-obsessive thoughts? And um, and and yeah, just describing that mind fuck of like, is it me? Is it you? This is the question. You know, you've been. I feel like like the Jeff Foxworthy of recovery would be like, you know, you've been in recovery if you call your friend and you ask am I crazy or did that person just throw shit at me? Like, like, that's like, like, am I crazy? Cause here's what happened. Like, am I, am I being wild? Am I out of pocket or is this person out of pocket? And rather it's usually what I found is it's usually a combination of both. It's usually everybody's a little out of pocket at the moment. And, um, and I just love that. I love your description of that. It's beautiful. But my, my question to you is what is your, with all that swirling around in your head and um, all of the things that you have to, to manage in your daily life, what is your day-to-day spiritual practice to kind of keep you sane, to keep Jojo? Um, well, it's funny that you just mentioned the, the 10 step. So, so doing a, an end of day, like inventory is, has been the it's the one that I've kept up the most and the best. And it's been, and that's partly because it's been so essential. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've always been a person historically who, if I wasn't being helped by a little alcohol, I would lie in bed at night and ruminate, right? On like mm-hmm. the day and the past. And, and you know, um, to actually have a structure where before I go to bed, I'm like, okay, like, what did I do today that I'm not proud of? That, that I, you know, feel, feel like bad about in some way and, and to actually e- examine that in the process and, and be like, well, you know, do you, you know, could you actually have done that better? Or do you just mean like you wish that had been different and it's nothing to do with you, mm-hmm. but also the good, I mean, for me, 
a big part of the the 10 step has been like hey you get a, a column for the good stuff as well right so anything mm -hmm. that you feel like good about what you did today you can put that and then and then i at a certain point i added a gratitude column as well and made that a part of it and and like that has also been has been very important it, even though like sometimes that is like pulling teeth it's like what did i appreciate today <laughs> like right you know fuck all um but i mean so so other the other spiritual practices i have i have struggled to maintain some of these um you know for for a while uh even in the pandemic i was i was actually like practicing meditation on a daily basis um and, and that was beneficial and it, it's it's a lot like physical exercise for me and you know yoga was one of these things that again like I had a period where I was doing that regularly, uh, you know, so maybe even daily, like, especially like nighttime yoga, little yoga with Adrian, you know, like, Yay! <laughs> uh, um, but, but th those ones, uh, I'm a very much a creature of, of habit. And it's like, if I get into the groove, I can maintain the groove, but if I get out of the groove, you know, it can get real kind of stagnant and hard to get back into that. Um, so, you know, I mean, the thing, the thing is, I'm, I'm one of those people who I hated being made to do exercise at school. And then I didn't do exercise after that for like a solid, like 15 years or something. And then discovered, you know, in my thirties that like, God damn it, all those people who said that exercise would be good for your mental health were right, you know, and like how frustrating to have to acknowledge that. Um, and, and that honestly, that's a lesson that like I have to keep relearning because I will really easily like fall completely out of the habit again. Um, and yeah, so, so yeah, the, the, the ten, you know, doing an inventory has been a pretty consistent one. Uh, meditation harder to, you know, to, to maintain. Um, but but my relationship with the idea of spirituality has definitely hugely changed. Um, that may be a different question though. No, I mean, the next one is what's your relationship with a higher power if you have one. So if that's where you're, if that's the train you were taking, it, right. it's, it's here. <laughs> I mean, so I was, you know, like I said, I, I was raised in a um, form of Christianity that was like, there's a very specific kind of God. You're not allowed to develop your own ideas about that. And and even a bunch of the other Christians have this wrong, and only we have this right. So that, That's always my favorite. It's like, hey, your God, complete dog shit. Our God is the right one. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the weird intra-Christian thing is so weird where it's like, we don't like the Catholics. Uh, and then it's like, why don't you like the Catholics? Turns out it's for all the good stuff, the interesting stuff about Catholicism, like Mary <laughs> and the rituals. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. um, anyway, uh, you know, so when I, so when I came into recovery, I was, um, first of all, just very skeptical about the idea of God. And I, you know, I wanted, I made an effort, like the first, First time I ever went to a recovery meeting, it was specifically for atheists and agnostics. Um, and and then I kind of they they kind of like directed me to some other places where it wasn't specifically for atheists and agnostics, but like the God stuff wouldn't get in the way for me. Um, you know, I I 
it took me a long time to to sort of accept like you can believe in a higher power of your own understanding because like that that was hammered so hard into me that like no you may you you can be an atheist we almost respect that more like the the, the christian worldview i was brought up in was like we almost respect it more if you're just an atheist if you're someone mm-hmm. who says you can pick and choose from like different spiritual paths then we really hate that and like mm-hmm. i i you know i sort of like carried a bit of that within me along with that like distrust of my own judgment right and and self-loathing is feeling of like god it can't be left up to me to to decide like what i think is out there in terms Mm -hmm. of spirituality so like my first conception of a higher power was like the struggle like the the social justice leftist struggle like that's going to be my higher power um and I feel like I changed that just in time before I got like really burnt out. I had had a period of like real burnout. And like, I don't think for me, it wasn't good to have a higher power that I felt that kind of obligation to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then for a while, my higher power was like my relationship with um, my nephew and I now have a niece as well. And, and, and I thought there was something there in terms of like, this is my, this is what helps me to be my best self. This kind of like love I feel this is powerful. Um, and that, that kind of changed again because I felt like I was putting a little bit too pr- much pressure on that. Um, now it is, it is in some ways more nebulous because it's like, uh, I, so I read a bunch of Octavia Butler, uh, the um, uh, the uh, Imar- was it? it's uh, Dawn and um, Imago those those books. Which, mm-hmm. um, oh, and then the no, sorry, I'm thinking of the other books, the Parable of the so a Parable of the Tenants, which has mm-hmm. the whole like fictitious religion in where where they believe that like God is change, right? And uh, I, I was very influenced by that idea of like, um, like change is eternal and inevitable and constant. And like, there is something there to that, which basically adds up to being like, like God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now like my higher power is, is kind of like, there is something there, right? Like I'm not, an atheist uh i don't know if agnostic kind of like describes it either i'm like i'm like the kind of person who i was raised to like to to think was very wishy-washy it's like there's Mm -hmm. something there and like i and it it, you know it me it it affects the way i think about death it affects the way i think about like what is the meaning of life and and i have some kind of like responsibility and I can like influence things like the, but, but it's, you know, it's also like completely independent of me and beyond me. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's the only requirement really in terms of 12 step higher power is uh, it's something, mm-hmm, but it ain't right. me. Mm-hmm. It, that's for me, uh, honesty, open-mindedness and willingness has been a sufficient higher power. Group of drunks has been a higher power gift of desperation has been a sufficient replacement for the god and like it's just it, it it's it's never been one thing for the solid time i've been around mm-hmm. uh and that is something i bank on is that mm-hmm. it, it is uh something that i i can throw completely in the fucking garbage if i'm done with it 
and rebuild it or it's something I can carry with me. It it should be big enough to to withstand my insanity. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I completely at some point is like, oh, okay, like this is going to change again. Like this is probably going to keep changing throughout, yeah. you know, the rest of my life. And I can see the comfort in in this this God with the trident that's the only God and the right God. It's, that's convenient. It's convenient. Yeah. yeah. It's convenient to have uh, an archetype of God that is, this is the only one. It's like, oh, cool. I, then I don't have to think about that shit anymore. But I I'm just only it's naive. I only want a god with abs. You know what I mean? I just had to have a god with abs and like those lower ab cum gutter things. I really need that. Um, That's right. Anna wants your god to have cum gutters, everybody. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we reached the last question. Joe, you've crushed this. Like you've given me so much. No, seriously, you've given me so much to like, this is exactly what I needed today. Um, what is one thing you would tell somebody just like you in the world right now? This is the part where we give it away. You know what I mean? Just like me. Um, mm -hmm. I think I would say that like the thing you're really scared of living without, like you can survive without. And I don't, cause I don't even just mean alcohol. Like um, in some ways, like I, I've been a very afraid person a lot mm -hmm. of the time in my life. Like, and, and when I look back and, and, there's a lot of really good things that happened in my life that I'm like, it's a miracle I got past the fear, right? It's kind of a miracle I ever went on any first dates or job interviews, you know? It's a miracle I moved to this country. Um, you know, I just like packed up and moved to another country because uh, of a woman I was seeing who's now my wife. Um, it's a miracle that I ever left the relationship I was in because, you know, I thought like, actually, I don't want to do this but you know like or left a job um and, and and quitting drinking was for me was the same in some ways where it's like i can't imagine what life is going to be like if this isn't it right i can't imagine making this jump like what happens if it's just totally miserable and i'm like begging for the like the life i had but like you know, it's kind of true that you never know until until you try. Um, I think, like, and a big part of it for me was it didn't have to be all at once. I mean, the stopping drinking was all at once, but only after I had tried moderating the drinking for, like, a year at least you know that was miserable um but like i didn't go to like meetings or anything for the first 11 months i didn't say like this is definitely it and when i first went to meetings i was like oh i don't know about all of this i'm gonna go but i'm not really committing and and like in some ways like that's okay i think that the whole thing where you kind of piecemeal or like i'm gonna make this small change right like i'm i'm a big fan of i'm a big believer in like harm reduction and I always mm -hmm. like the parts of, you know, there's parts of some of the programs that actually are like really, you know, quite big on that, right? Like the whole stuff, I, I, I think a lot, and not just because I'm a person who has like a very compulsive relationship with sugar, but I think a lot about the whole thing of like, keep chocolate in the house. 
don't give people a hard time if they are like, you know, smoking a lot of cigarettes and drinking a lot of coffee, right? Like these are kind of like good recovery traditions because it's like, listen, in the eventually you deal with your emotional stuff and you mm -hmm. can maybe like start to get into like, why can't I sit still for five minutes? Why aren't I comfortable in my own skin? Why do I have to have like something on the go? Um, but like in the meantime, just move from one compulsive habit that's really harming you to one that's harming you a bit less, right? Because like, I, I have a relationship with like the games on this and like ice cream and stuff like that, which is not always great and it's not always healthy. It's like, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I need to distract myself. So that's what I go to, mm -hmm. but it's less destructive than uh, when I used to drink. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we, for me, we always used to say we handled the shit that's going to kill us fastest. Yes. Right. Right. Or as my sponsor said <laughs> this thing that I I love, which is he was like, the bad news is you're in a moderation program now. And it's like, oh, right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I could give up certain foods. I could throw my phone into the river, but like, I'm, I'm not going to. I just going to need to figure out how to moderate those things. So like the advice of someone like me is like, you know, you you can give it a shot like making the life change that terrifies you and that you thought you could mm -hmm. do and like it doesn't have to be like all at once and it doesn't have to be perfect you know mm -hmm. um yeah and and you'll be surprised how many people you find who are like you in unexpected ways mm -hmm. absolutely we did it we got yeah. through the 12 questions joe Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us. Um, usually at this time, we can give you a, a chance to plug something. But uh, if you got nothing to plug, is there an organization that you like to talk about or uh, anything? If, if you want people to find you or the work that you're doing, it's quite all right to say that now. Uh, I do not have anything. Uh, I might have to get back to you on that and put it in a right. link or something. No worries. No, no worries. Anna, how can they find us and all you, the things? You can find me at Anna Via's phone on Twitter and Instagram. You could also find, and that's Anna with two N's, and you can also find me at AnnaValenzuela.com uh, for uh, show dates and tour dates and all kinds of stuff. And how you find this podcast, you go to 12Q Pod, 12Q Pod on everything, all the social medias, all even the Gmail, 12Q Pod everyone and dave where can people find you and your beautiful wares at yates comedy y-a-t-e-s comedy instagram facebook TikTok, uh all the shit and if you want to support me directly you can buy hot sauce for me i make haha -ha hot sauce that is my merch and it's delicious you can go to haha hot sauce.com it really is delightful guys the, one of the first things i did when i came back from my little tour was have spaghetti and meatballs and some haha -ha hot sauce on top no joke so good mm -hmm. um we're doing it we're doing it and how we add this podcast every single time is joe if nobody's told you this today we love you love you buddy thanks for joining us thank you yay and dave if nobody's told you this today we love you <laughs> take it and if you're listening to this and nobody has told you this today we love you love you everybody thanks for listening love you bye <laughs>